Welcome to the podcast of Destiny Community Church. Today, we are starting a new series that we're going to, going to explore throughout the month of June called Divine Detour. Divine Detour. And I want to ask you this. Have you ever had a destination in mind, a, a, a course charted to get there, only to be detoured on a different route? Anybody in the room? I have numerous times in my life. And about 17 years ago, I was a, a young youth pastor, and the children's pastor and I traveled to a conference in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Now, before any rumors get started, our children's pastor was a man, okay? It was a guy. Didn't want you to think Pastor Rocky and uh, some lady was traveling together. No, it wasn't that way. Um, the children's pastor, he and I were traveling to a conference in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and this particular children's pastor's wife, his, his wife worked uh, for Continental Airlines. And so she said she could save the church some money and she was going to book our airfare for us. And so she did. And, and the flight out was perfect. I, I believe we flew directly from Tampa straight out to Tulsa. It was a beautiful flight. We enjoyed our week there at the conference, and, and then we started our trek home. And we returned our rental car at the airport. Everything's going according to plan. We, we get to our gate on time. The plane is on time. Everything is working just right. And um, we're waiting to board, and that was when the unexpected detour happened. You see, I did not realize that his wife had booked our flights using employee buddy passes. I don't know if you've ever flown this way or not. Um, it, it sounded fun. I mean, who wouldn't want to be a buddy of a continental employee, right? I mean, it sounds fun. But here's the rules to the buddy pass. A buddy pass is only good when space is available on the plane. You are not guaranteed a seat for your desired flight. And you are basically flying standby. That means if there's an open seat or if somebody doesn't show up, then your buddy pass gets you on that flight. But there are absolutely no guarantees. And we ended up spending the night in the Tulsa airport. Nowhere to go, no rental car, no hotel. We spent the night there in the Tulsa airport just waiting to see if hopefully we would be on the next flight. And I'll never forget this feeling because that early that next morning, the, the next flight out was, was, was scheduled to, to leave. And we're watching and we're watching. And sure enough, we don't get invited to, to be their guests on that flight. And then the next flight and the next flight. And finally, they started trying to figure out a way to, to reroute our, 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 our way of getting back to Tampa. And so we ended up uh, going on a detour through through a couple of other airports. I believe our connecting flights were in Houston and Cleveland And then we finally made it home and um, it added an entire extra day of travel To to our to our plans and we finally made it to our destination where we lived in Tampa, Florida at 3 a.m. The next day It was tough Delaying your arrival at your desired destination, detours will take you on a path that is longer and sometimes it's scenic. Um, now, when I say scenic, I don't necessarily mean, you know, breathtaking and beautiful. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it's beautiful. Sometimes going on a detour, you get to see parts of the world that you never thought you would be able to see. And there are times when if you keep your eyes open, you will see things that you have never seen before. You'll see mountaintop views, waterfalls. You'll, you'll see waterfront roadways, 
uh, riding along, you know, the ocean. And, and it's beautiful that sometimes there's just beautiful rolling green pastures with wildflowers. And if you keep your eyes open, sometimes on a detour, you get to see that kind of stuff. But I'm convinced that too many passengers miss out on the scenery, especially these days, while they're riding down the road because they're glued to their iPhones. And they miss out on what's happening outside of the windows, the, the detour that, that they're going on, or even the, the, the normal route that they would be traveling. Uh, this hit home for us when our, our kids turned 16. When Caleb and Kendall, our twins, when they turned 16, I honestly thought, man, they're, they're ready to drive. You know, we'll just pray for their safety. And, and so here's the keys, go. And, um, but the problem with this whole situation was that they grew up in a generation that they've been staring at their smartphones. And those kids had a hard time getting from here to Gainesville. I'm not kidding. And they certainly didn't know that there were numerous ways to get to Archer Road. And we would have to spell it out for them because they were so stuck looking down for all of these years. For years, we navigated them around Alachua County, but they had no idea how to find these places. They just knew that they existed. But how to actually get there? Mm -mm. Detours, although usually not welcome, they give us an alternative way to arrive at our destination, but you've got to keep your eyes open during the detour. Now, not all detours are created equal. I'm not going to try and convince you of that today because they're not. All detours are not created equal. They are not all surrounded with beautiful scenery. I mean, some detours will take you through the woods and that's all you see. You're just passing the trees and that's it. It's just trees and trees and trees for miles. It's kind of like driving from here to Trenton. All you see are the woods. That's it. It's all you see. Some detours take you in a direction that has no gas stations, no rest areas. That can be tough, right? Some detours take you through roads or down roads through sketchy parts of town. Anyone ever been through a, a, a sketchy place on a detour and, and uh, I mean, you lock your doors? You know what it feels like. You lock your doors as you're going through there. Uh, Pastor Andrew, Pastor Scott, and myself, we were just in Orlando last week for, for one day for a conference. And um, the, the Waze app that I use was taking us down a, 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 a way and these two guys were picking at me and sure enough we get to this little sketchy area of town and we're locking the doors we're making sure we couldn't get out of there it took us to a dead end actually and I'm like let's turn around let's get out of here and I had to really comfort those guys they were scared to death but <laughs> not all detours are created equal the definition of detour is this a way of getting to a place that is indirect or longer than the usual way and is taken in order to avoid a particular problem or to do something special. How many of you know that life has detours? Many of you, most of you, if not all of you in the room, you've experienced life's detours. Life has detours and, and life is full of these sudden changes in direction where you're going one direction and suddenly life takes you another direction or, or a change of plans that you don't initiate and you don't anticipate, but yet it happens. You have to change direction. Original plans are often sidetracked in our lives and our plans usually are built around the shortest, fastest, most convenient route possible when detours seem to delay us in reaching our destination. But what if life's detours are put in our lives to avoid particular problems or to accomplish something special? 
What if that is why we have detours? What if, what if the detours of life are, are trying to help us to avoid particular problems or to accomplish something special in our lives? Is it possible, and here's the question for this, this entire series, is it possible that God is rerouting our lives to help us avoid problems or do we sometimes experience divine interruptions in our lives because God wants to accomplish something specific in our lives? And if this is true, if either one of these questions, if either one of them is true, then we might need to learn to see life's detours through a different lens. Because if you're like me, when, when, when life throws you a curveball, when, when life sends that detour your way, your first initial response is, Oh no, what's happening? I, I can't believe this. And, and the rug is pulled out from underneath you and suddenly it's just, what are we going to do? But what if we started looking at life's detours through a different lens, through a different filter, and we start realizing that maybe God has put that there for a purpose? Church, I want to invite you to understand that the Israelites' journey from Egypt to the promised land is not only a true historical event, but it is also an analogy for our journey through this life to eternal life. And so we're going to be looking at this journey of the Israelites throughout this series. I want you to turn with me to Exodus chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 7 through 14, and then I will turn over to Exodus 13 and read verses 17 and 18. Exodus 1, 7 through 14. Then Exodus 13, verses 17 and 18. Exodus chapter 1, starting at verse 7. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmaster, taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh's store cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service and mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. As you turn over to Exodus 13, this, this situation becomes even more critical because Pharaoh, realizing that, that the Hebrews were growing, the Israelites were growing in number, determines that he wants to kill all the newborn males so that he can keep control of the population. So now we get to Exodus chapter 13. After the, the ten plagues of Egypt and, and after God is, is using Moses and Aaron to deal with Pharaoh, now we read verse 17. When Pharaoh finally let the people go, God did not lead them along the main road that runs through Philistine territory even though that was the shortest route to the promised land. God said if the people are faced with a battle, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led them in a roundabout way through the wilderness toward the, the Red Sea. 
Thus the Israelites left Egypt like an army, like an army ready for battle. Geometry tells us that the shortest distance between two points, A and B, is what? Straight line. That the shortest distance between point A and point B is always a straight line. And, and, and if you don't have any obstacles in the way, that is the, the fastest way to get there, to follow a straight line. And so if that's the, the, the fastest way, the, the, the most common way, if, if that's the way that you should go, why is it that God often sends our lives in a zigzag pattern? Why is it that as we walk through life, we know where we want to end up, and we, we pretty much know where God wants us to end up, or at least we think we do. And, and if we know that, and the, the, the fastest way to get from point A to point B is a straight line, why is it that God sends our lives in a zigzag pattern, often putting detours and roadblocks in our way so that we have to go around them, and so that it makes the journey longer? It makes our journey of this life even longer. And this is not a new method. God had been using this method for years, hundreds of years even. We saw this method used by God in the life of Joseph. In Genesis chapter 37, young Joseph has this dream of becoming a political leader. His father loved him more than he loved all of his other sons because he was the son of Rachel and that was the, the love of Jacob's life. And they would be out in the fields tending to the flocks and, and Joseph would often come back to his father Jacob and he would, he would tell on his brothers what the Bible says in the beginning of chapter 37 of Genesis. It says that he was basically a tattletale. He would, he would tell his, his father all the things that his brothers were doing wrong. And at that time, now there would be a younger brother later, but at that time he was the youngest of all the brothers. I'm the youngest of all the brothers. I remember what it was like to get my brothers in trouble. I knew how to go to mom and dad and tell them the things that they were doing wrong. And this is exactly what he was doing. He was acting like the younger brother. Do we have any of the youngest in the room, youngest in your family? You know what it's like to be a tattletale. We do this. We're good at it, right? And he was a tattletale. And Joseph's immaturity leads him not only to tell his father, but also his brothers of his dreams of one day ruling over them. Now these are divine dreams. These are God-inspired dreams that God is giving him a vision for his life. But in stupidity and immaturity, Joseph doesn't keep these to himself and he doesn't keep these dreams between just him and his heavenly father or even him and his earthly father. No, he decides to tell his brothers that one day he is going to rule supreme over them and over his family. And so his brothers, being very jealous of him, you know, his father even made him a, a, a wonderful, a colorful coat, which, which signified that, that he was going to get the, the birthright and blessing. Even though he was the youngest, he was getting the blessing of his father. And so his brothers were very jealous of him. And because they were jealous of him and angry at him, his brothers sell him into slavery. And this young 17-year-old boy goes from being his father's favorite to now he is a slave in the house of Potiphar. But something miraculous happens in the house of Potiphar. Because when you've got leadership on you, you can't keep leadership down. 
And so there in the house of Potiphar, Potiphar recognizes something about this young man, but then some false accusations are made against him and, 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 uh, and Potiphar's wife comes against Joseph because he, he won't sleep with her. And, and she makes these false accusations. He ends up in prison and it is there through slavery and imprisonment in a season of injustice in his life that God matures Joseph and teaches him how to operate in his giftings of dreams and interpretation of dreams. It is a gifting. It's a leadership gifting that he has on his life that he can, he, he, he first of all has God given, God inspired dreams of greatness, but then he can hear someone else's dream and tell them what it means. It is a God given ability that he has. And it made me think, could it be that God is more concerned with the de development of the dreamer than he is the fulfillment of the dream? And I think the answer is yes. God is always more concerned with your development than he is with your destination. It doesn't mean that your destination is not important to God. It doesn't mean that God hasn't given you a desire and a dream in your own life. But I can promise you that God is more concerned with your development as a dreamer than he is with the, the, the destination and the fulfillment of the dream. But when we read of the Israelites being led out of Egypt, it appears that God wants to develop his people we're hundreds of years later, somewhere around 400 years later, the Bible says that, that this new Pharaoh didn't know Joseph, even though he became great in second command of Egypt. And now the Israelites have grown in number. And, and through much trial, much tribulation, finally they are let loose. They are let free to go. And the Bible says in verse 17 that when Pharaoh finally let the people go, God did not let them, did not lead them along the main road that runs through Philistine territory, even though that was the shortest route to the promised land. God's way is not our way. God's way is not our way. God's way is not our way. God's way to get you out of that financial burden that you're in is not your way. God's way to heal your marriage is not your way. What God wants to do in your life is take you in a direction that you never saw coming. You can flip to the back of your Bible. Those of you that actually carry Bibles, and it's not on your phone, but probably could find an app on your phone if you wanted to. But in the back, back of your Bible, there are these maps. Anyone remember looking at the maps when you were younger? Who, be honest, who's looked at a map in the past, like, five years? Anyone? Hi. In the past week. Really? I'm impressed. Yes. I'm not just meaning any map. Some of you are like, yeah, I got my GPS out yesterday. No, I mean the Bible maps. A quick look at the maps in the back of most Bibles, it, it will show you this very strange route that the children of Israel took from Egypt to the promised land. And rather than make that most direct path, point A to point B, a straight line, on this well-traveled road running alongside the Mediterranean Sea that led straight to their destination, God instead led them through the wilderness. Had God led them by what some Bibles refer to as the Philistine way or the Philistine road, 
That journey would have only been 250 miles from where they were at to the promised land. That's it, 250 miles. I get it. I know that they're walking, but this popular trade route, this well-worn path, would have taken them probably 11, maybe 12 days, let's say two weeks max to travel 250 miles. Not only would this have been the shorter route, but they would have also had a greater access to fresh drinking water on that path and certainly a more, a, a more comfortable and pleasant coastal climate. Having been to Israel recently and, and, and been in that, in that desert, in that area, and then going over to the coast at Caesarea Maritime, I can tell you there is a nice breeze that comes in off that Mediterranean Sea. It's a completely different feel than it is in that hot desert. But instead of taking them on the Philistine way, on the Philistine row, on that trade route, instead of taking them that way, God would send them south. He would send them into the Sinai Peninsula. And, and it's a desert, and it's a barren land, and overwhelming heat, and, and very limited life-supporting resources. And the wilderness is, is called the Negev, which, which is a name taken from the Hebrew word that, that means a dry place. I've been there. It is an extremely dry place. I can't imagine having to, to wander in that wilderness for any amount of time. I was on a comfortable tour bus as I was going through there. We had bottled water at, at our request. It, I, but I cannot imagine having to walk and live in that area. Why would God send them that way instead of a direct route to the promised land? And it's because God's way is not our way. Why, why aren't things healed in your family? Why hasn't it happened yet? Why haven't you found financial freedom yet? Why is it that that burden that, that just keeps haunting you, why? And it's because God's way is not our way. But God does give us this glimpse as to why He puts these detours in our lives. And it's the second half of verse 17. And here's what God said. If the people are faced with a battle, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. If they're faced with a battle, these people who were slaves, they just might change their minds and instead of going to the promised land, they're gonna turn around, go back to Egypt and be enslaved once again. And this makes me think about my own life. Uh, and, and I can't answer for Mandy, but I can, I can certainly speculate about my own life. And, and I wonder sometimes if if I had known that cancer was going to attack my home, and, and I was only 20 years old when we got married, as a 20-year-old, had I known that cancer was going to attack my home, would I have still gotten married? I, I would love to tell you, yeah, absolutely, but how many 20-year-olds actually like, love that deeply in that moment? How many 20-year-olds are ready for the responsibility of being a caregiver? for your spouse that has cancer. But you know, God knew exactly what he was doing in our lives and God's timing in our lives, it, it, it was absolutely perfect. The route, the way that he wanted us to go prepared us for a battle that was bigger than we were. And it's interesting to me that the Israelites had everything that they needed to win the war for the promised land except for one thing. You see, they had all the weapons and the tools that they needed. They were equipped for battle. It said so right there in our text. They were like a mighty army. 
And they were equipped for battle, but the one thing that they did not have was the right mindset. Sometimes that's where we get in life. That's sometimes we find our place there. We're on our detour, we're off the beaten path, and we're wondering, how am I going to to make it to my destination? Not even realizing that we have everything that we need to, to accomplish what God wants to do in our lives, but we just don't have the right mindset. And God was going to teach them to trust Him and depend on His provision before they could face the biggest challenges of their lives. And those challenges are coming. But God's got to build their trust in Him. This is a people that they were far removed from the the worship of their forefathers, far removed from the respect that their forefathers had for, for God, for Jehovah, for Yahweh. This was not a part of their lives anymore, and God wants to separate them as a nation. He wants to give them the law which is their constitution. He wants to pour this into them and he wants to build trust in their lives, trust that they they trust that God is going to fight their battles, that God is going to come through for them. God knew that the Israelites were not mentally nor spiritually ready to fight. So he sends them on a detour to prepare them. The Jewish Talmud written somewhere around 500 AD says, there is a long way which is short and a short way which is long. I can't help but think that the rabbis are somehow speaking of the Exodus. There is a long way which is short and a short way which is long. God's way is not your way. He told us this. The prophet Isaiah wrote the words of God in chapter 55, verses 8 and 9, when he says, God says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. He says, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Mm. Think about it. If they don't take the long way, we don't get to witness the parting of the Red Sea, because that's on the the long way. If they take the direct route along the coastline, we don't get to see God make the bitter water sweet. We don't get to see water come from a rock. We don't get to see heaven rain down manna on them if they take the direct route. And as you're going to see in this series, God's way created an army that was ready to defeat the Amalekites, the Moabites, and and other armies that would come against them to destroy them Before this detour, the Bible says they looked like an army ready for battle. There's a big difference in looking like an army ready for battle and being an army ready for battle. You can put a lot of young men and young women in boot camp, first day of boot camp, and and they they, they look the part. I mean, they've got their fatigues on. Um, They may even have some weapons that have, have absolutely no bullets inside of them, not on the first day of boot camp, but they look the part. They look like a mighty army. But they are far from being a mighty army. And the Bible says they look like an army ready for battle. But after this detour that we are going to be studying, they were an army ready for battle. And I have to speak that over your lives today. Right now, we we sometimes, because we are Christians, we look the part, don't we? We look the part. But are we truly ready for battle? Because the battles are coming. 
And when you can walk into that battle reassured, knowing that God is fighting for you, knowing that God has already parted the Red Sea and drowned the enemy, if you know that God can, can be your provider and rain down manna from heaven and bring water from a rock, if you know that, then you will walk into the promised land ready to conquer it, ready to fight any army that wants to come against you because there's a difference from looking like an army ready for battle and actually being an army ready for battle. Straight out of high school, I had all of the knowledge that I needed to tackle life. At least I thought I did. Some of our high school seniors that are, have just graduated, you listen to the wise words of old Pastor Rocky. I thought I had life figured out. And, and I'll, I'll tell you this, if I didn't learn one more thing, I could have probably survived this life, probably. The problem was that I didn't have the maturity and the mindset to become who God wanted me to be as a husband, as a father, or even in my calling as a pastor. Right out of high school, I was not ready for, for any of that. And the Israelites, they were equipped for battle, but they did not have the heart or the wisdom to face the inhabitants of their promised land. It's coming. But God knew they're not ready for battle. So I can't send them on the, the direct line from A to B. No, I've, I've got to do something in their life, and I'm going to have to send them on this detour. Now understand this. God didn't say no. He just said not now. And some of you need to hold on to that with your promise. When he looked at the life of, of Joseph, all of the mishaps that happened with his life, it wasn't no, but it was decades of not now. Because God was preparing Joseph. God was preparing the children of Israel. What's God preparing you with right now? God's preparing you right now. Whatever detour your own... God is using it to prepare you for something that's coming up. Delay seldom means denial in the kingdom of God. Proverbs 16 and 9 says, The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Psalm 37 and 23, The steps of a man are established by the Lord, but he delights in his way. I love what God says to us in Psalm 32 and 8. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. You might be on a detour, but God has not lost a glimpse of where you are at right now. It's better than a bird's eye view. It's a God's eye view. And God knows exactly where you're heading. He knows every pothole. He knows every roadblock. God's got you on a detour right now because he's preparing you to accomplish something greater than what you even imagined for your own life. And we may not like the fact that God is taking us the long way, but we must come to the realization that he is preparing us. When I first came to Newberry to start Destiny Community Church, when we first moved here, I had dreams of what this church would look like. It's only a handful of people in this room that were there when we first started meeting before we had our own our very own first church service and I had some big dreams of what that was going to look like dreams to build a, a ministry center to, to teach and train people to reach this community and to to reach across the street and around the world I, I had these big dreams 
But I can tell you along the way, there's been some roadblocks. There's been some detour signs along the way. There's been moments where, if I'm completely honest with you, I felt like giving up. There's been moments when I've lost hope. Next month will be 12 long years since we moved to the city of Newberry to start this thing. There's been times when the scenery has been absolutely amazing. I'll never forget the one Easter service where 35 people gave their hearts to Christ in one day. Looking out the window of that detour, it was beautiful. And we weren't even in this room. We were in that little old student center across the street when that happened. Not much to look at, but amazing scenery. There's been times when it's been dry, it's been barren, seasons of drought. I admitted to this church one time that for a whole season I just felt like I couldn't hear from God. I taught God's word simply from what had been stored up inside of me. But I was in a season of spiritual drought. Moments when I didn't know why we were doing what we're doing. But what God has done in me and continues to do in me through this journey is what it's really about. Before this big business meeting that we have coming up this Wednesday night, I need, to, I need you as a church to understand that 20 acres and that ministry center that we're going to build, that's not the destination. If we build that ministry center and we move out to that property and we for one moment think that we have arrived, we've missed the whole point. What God is more focused on is what He's doing inside of me, what He's doing inside of you while you're on the journey. The promised land was a promise. That's going to happen. But the process that He was taking the Israelites through, God was more concerned with them and what was happening inside of them and their trust in Him than He was about the promise. God had already made the promise and God can't lie. He can't go against his word. And now as we stand on the threshold of our promised land, I just want to take a moment and realize that every detour in life is all part of God's big plan. And that if we see it that way, we'll realize God is going to do something greater in us individually and corporately than what we've ever imagined. Thank you for listening to the podcast of DCC. For service times and directions, log on to www.destinycommunitychurch.org. Thanks again for listening.